Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. It's the Autosport Podcast. We preview the Italian Grand Prix and ask if Ferrari is now Charles Leclerc's team. Just a week after the Belgian Grand Prix, Formula One moves on to yet another classic track with the Italian Grand Prix at Monza, where Ferrari will be looking to follow up that first win of the season with a home soil victory. I'm your host, Ed Straw, and joining me to look ahead to the race and some of the big storylines that are developing is Scott Mitchell, who is uh, enjoying our our towering Milan hotel that we've just arrived at. Yeah, I'm uh, super excited to to be back here. Uh, Last year was my first experience of Monza. Really, really fever, apart from some quite calamitous Italian organisation of the, the car park on arrival, uh, walking through the, 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 the bit that opens up into the paddock where all the, the tifosi are, they go absolutely mad. I remember being there when Fernando Alonso arrived last year and obviously no longer a, a Ferrari man, but my word, was he absolutely adored. So really, really cool. And obviously, we're not quite in central Milan we're just north we're ha- basically halfway between central Milan and the circuit so looking forward to wrapping up this podcast and and getting out to experience one of the many excellent restaurants in Italy because I absolutely love food so I love being here excellent and uh, the positive thing is I only made one very small 
wrong turn while driving here. So that's uh, unusually good. Well, it's, uh, it means that we've started the week with um, we're in uncharacteristically good shape, shall we say. So I'm sure something will go terribly wrong on the way to the track tomorrow. Exactly. Well, well someone will probably reverse into a tree in a car park or something. Well, Who would do such a thing? Certainly not I. I've never done that. Uh, not so, um, you've never done it at Monza. But I have seen I have seen people do it at Monza. It's because uh, it's, it's very because uh, it's all sort of old woodlands. It's a Royal Park Monza, of course, so it is very very tree and green, which is very pleasant. But trees have a habit of not not lining up nicely uh, with uh, with cars and that kind of thing. So that's always quite uh, quite amusing. Uh, well, obviously the the expectation going into this race is that Ferrari will have the advantage, certainly in qualifying. And uh, I don't know if anyone can pick that up, but there does appear to be uh, a slight sound insulation problem. I think there is a uh, a, uh, a baby next door that is making a fair bit of noise. <laughs> that is what's happening, if uh, anyone's wondering. Um, so we're expecting Ferrari to have the pace in qualifying, but it was quite close at Spa, wasn't it, in terms of hanging on for the victory with Charles Leclerc. So are we going to expect the same again here? Could the track configuration actually help? Ferrari because it won't give them that twisty middle sector where Mercedes was doing all the damage lap time wise yeah I think it goes slightly more in Ferrari's favor than Spa because you don't have the split across the circuit as you mentioned Lewis Hamilton said after the the race at Spa that he expected this to be one where it was all smiles for Ferrari basically because there just isn't that opportunity or as much of an opportunity for Mercedes to to make up for its straight line speed deficit and Lewis talks about needing pretty massive turnaround in straight line speed for them to really challenge Ferrari here and obviously you've only got a few days to do that it's not like you can suddenly redesign an entire aero package or anything so Mercedes come here pretty much with what with what they've got what they've planned it will all come down to the execution we know that that's a massive strength for Mercedes certainly compared to Ferrari because Spa was pretty much the first time they hooked it all together for one of their cars pretty much all year Um, and they only just hung on so I'm expecting to see quite a chunky gap in in qualifying. Um, at Spa, uh, they Mercedes estimated at Spa that a toe was worth sort of point three, point four of a second. I'm not sure what it's going to be worth at Monza, but we know that Ferrari really quick in a straight line combination of mega engine and the low drag setup. They've got a new engine here as well. As long as it doesn't go bang like the one in Antonio Giovinazzi's Alpha did last weekend. I mean, it should be a. I mean, nothing's ever easy in F1, but it's this is as near of a of a slam dunk chance of a home win for Ferrari as they're, they're likely to have. But we said that a year ago when they started the race first and second, and we all know how that turned out. Well, that was one of I would say one of Lewis Hamilton's great Formula One wins when he managed to really force the issue in that race, forced a mistake out of Vettel, and then bided his time in the second stint and passed Raikkonen. So. That's the interesting thing. I think we will see Mercedes being more competitive in the race than it is in qualifying. And that's the that's a recipe for quite an interesting race, isn't it? Because whenever we've seen Ferrari qualifying at the front, they have, except in Bahrain, where they were their own worst enemies, they've generally become come under pressure, as we saw in, in Austria, as we saw in Canada, as we saw last weekend at Spa. And this is a long race. Um, and one of the characteristics of the circuit, which I think might play a part, is while you don't have those... those those tight twisty sequences you do have a couple of really significant traction zones so if we get to the point where Mercedes superior tyre management bears fruit I think 
towards the end of stint, certainly Ferrari could become vulnerable because if they're struggling to get the power down, if they're not leaning on the car quite as quickly through Parabolica, for example, that opens up an opportunity down the start-finish straight. So Mercedes will have its eye on an upset on Sunday. I, I don't necessarily think they'll be challenging for pole position unless maybe Ferrari don't get it all together or Mercedes really nail it on the setup and they get the perfect toe. Maybe Hamilton or Valtteri Bottas can, can pull a, a magic lap out. But the Mercedes aim is basically to get one or two cars on the podium and have a repeat of last year where they had had the booze. The uh, the, the one positive thing is they are quite good in the slow corners. So there's two, there's two slow chicanes where they should... Well, one very slow chicane, one the, the second chicane is a little bit quicker, but still quick. where they should have an advantage. The third chicane, as it's called, is pretty quick. Ascari, it's quite a quite a fast direction changes there, so it's not quite the the same. So there are places where their package can uh, can gain a little bit, and so I think it will be an interesting test of the uh, the engine package because there isn't that same trade off in terms of the the setup and. What's been really fascinating is seeing how Ferrari seems to keep finding gains with that engine package. In fact, Christian Horner, after the last race, said that he felt that Ferrari were the the, sta- the gold standard now, power unit-wise, and the other three suppliers are kind of converging in terms of performance, which is amazing, really, when you consider how strong Mercedes has been for, for so long in, in, in this period. And that on the other side... It's got to be frustrating for Ferrari because they've got the best engine, but clearly they don't have the best car. And the aero side has, has let them down a little bit this year, so that's a, a bit of a, a bit of a, an, an open goal missed almost, and frustrating for them given that at the start of the the V6 hybrid turbo area it was the engine package that was the real Achilles heel. Well, it's a little bit Williams BMW, isn't it? At the start of the millennium, you've got a mega best, best engine, not best chassis. Exactly, and the way you look at it this year. Certainly, you have to say that top speed advantage, the trade-off for performance in the corners, just isn't worth it. Because this is this confuses me ever so slightly. Because Ferrari has established itself as the F1 engine benchmark, as you say, they've overtaken Mercedes, which started this era so so dominantly. So, if you've got that engine advantage and you know that you're going to have superior straight line speed in terms of your engine, go for peak downforce. Have a higher now, I know it's not that simple, but if you've got a superior engine, then you, the logic dictates that you can take a bit more of a trade-off in terms of drag. But 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 what Ferrari's done is they've got a mega engine and they've they've gone for that sort of efficient aerodynamic package instead of absolute peak downforce. And I just wonder if they underestimated how much peak downforce they'd actually need to get the tyres working. They'd underestimate what exactly Mercedes and Red Bull to a, to an extent would get out of going in a different direction so they they've got it wrong but what over the course of the season they've got it wrong but certainly for these two races and you know uh, a cynic would say they've built the perfect car to win their home race at Monza so there's no reason for them not to be very very competitive this weekend and that's the reason they go in as favorites yeah very very much so and Looking at the, uh, the the question of the drivers, the really interesting question as well will be if Charles Leclerc is able to lead the charge again, as he did pretty emphatically at Spa. He has he has done recently. He's had the 
advantage just looking ahead we track his qualifying average the, the qualifying averages for all drivers taking out anomalies and that kind of thing and we've got him on average now a tenth and a half quicker than Vettel over the season boosted by that three quarters of a second advantage at Spa that was misleading but still Leclerc was comfortably the quicker Ferrari driver in fact not just the quicker Ferrari driver but the better Ferrari driver because he'd worked on the tyre management and Vettel seemed to struggle with that so what we seem to be seeing is Leclerc becoming the more rounded package, learning the lessons of the, of the up and down first half of the season. And he's looking to me like a driver who is achieved, is, he hasn't quite achieved it yet, but he's a long way down the line to achieving what he would have set his sights on at the start of the season, which is effectively usurping Sebastian Vettel as the man in that team. Well, I was going to say, I, I disagree slightly with your characterization of the question for the Ferrari drivers this weekend. I don't think the question is can Leclerc lead the challenge this weekend like last week? I think the question now is flipped and it's on Vettel. The question is, can Vettel respond to what Leclerc's been doing? Because he was better in the race in Hungary, wasn't he, Vettel? He's got very good time management. But was it six qualifying defeats in a row now, Vettel, to, to, to Leclerc? I think Leclerc's established himself as the fastest Ferrari driver in 2019. I think Vettel has maintained that advantage over races. I think Vettel's actually been quite impressive in races this year. But in terms of peaks, when the car's been at its best or is, or at its most competitive, with the exception of Canada, Vettel's not really been there. It's been Leclerc. And I just think now four-time world champion, super experienced, team was all geared up to make him the, the face of the Ferrari title challenge this year. And the pressure was on Leclerc to change Ferrari's mind. And Leclerc, like you said, has gone a long way to achieving that. And Vettel's now under pressure because this is meant to be his team. But if you're Ferrari, if you're Mattia Bonotto and the season's going the way it is, can you really justify prioritising Vettel over Leclerc next year? So has Vettel got eight races now starting this weekend at Monza? Because he's now over a year since he won a race. Obviously, he counts Canada, but he can't because he didn't win it. Um, He's got eight races to save his reputation, hasn't he, as team leader starting with this weekend? Yeah, and and the whole thing about team leaders etc it's the team will get behind the superior driver that's almost always the case the only time that they don't will be very very brief sort of transition periods where you've got a new force overtaking the old force should we should we say so yeah Vettel needs to raise his game I mean we have to be careful about Vettel because I do find him a little bit puzzling because when he's at his best he's an outstanding driver he's done some great things in Formula One and I get fed up with people just thinking that in his Red Bull years he just fluked into championships and it was easy because it wasn't he was driving brilliantly at times doing really really great things and at times at Ferrari he has done as well Vettel I think needs to show that he can deal with a situation where a new driver's come in and, and outperformed him which he didn't do so well with Ricardo at Red Bull that led to him moving on early from uh, from Red Bull. And there are those who say that he might try and do the same from Ferrari now and try and go back to Red Bull, although whether that would be wise, given that's Max Verstappen's team, is a is another another question. I'm not sure that would be a, a great move. But he is a guy who's got 52 Grand Prix wins, four World Championships, a wealth of experience. So he's not to be underestimated. So I think it comes down to, as I think we've talked about before, does he really still have it in him to like dig that extra bit deep? You know, Leclerc's a young, hungry driver. He's getting his first shot in a in a big team. He's really making it work. Vettel, of course, came into the season expecting to fight for the championship, and it's been a little bit of a, a damp squib for him. And I do feel that when, as we've seen in his, his years at Ferrari, in fact, even going back to 2014, when things haven't been going quite as well as expected, he's tended to struggle a little bit more. 
or not be able to dig as deep. When things have gone better, sometimes he lifts himself. So that's interesting. But what Vettel does need to do, you're right, is show over this this part of the season that that he can do what he needs to do to be at the same level as Leclerc or for it to be for it to be nip and tuck between the two and swing one weekend to another. Well, what we saw in um, in qualifying last week in in Belgium was a little bit of a microcosm for his Ferrari spell because whereas Leclerc was super confident and was just like, do you know what, just send me out. I don't get, let's not faff around finding a toe. I know it might cost me some overall time, but I just need to get out on track. The car's really good. I can get this pole lap in on my own. Just send me out. I don't want to risk compromising my tyres or anything like this. And as it turns out, the the position that he ended up in on circuit, I think he did pick up a toe. For, I don't know if he got a toe in sectors one and three, but he talked afterwards about he ended up the position of the cars, meant he got one to a degree anyway. But that wasn't the point. The point was that Leclerc was able to just say to the team, right, whenever the car's ready, send me out for my final run. Vettel was a little bit on the opposite side. He was part of that group that was really grinding to a halt almost, trying to make sure that they were in a position where they would get the toe off of someone in front of them. And he ended up compromising his his tyres and his tyre temperature and that sort of scuppered the lap. And that's why he ended up Uh, so far adrift. He had a a scruffy middle sector as well, which he seemed to try and blame on traffic. but Wasn't convinced by it. No, he was no closer to the car in front than Leclerc was to the car in front of him. And... I think what we saw there was Vettel knowing he needed every little bit. He needed a perfect run through qualifying with a perfect toe and for Leclerc to underachieve in order for him to have any any chance. And maybe that sort of trying to grasp at it a bit too much ultimately led to him being further back. Because if you look at their ideal times, if you combine their best sectors, he was only two tenths off Leclerc. So he wasn't three. He kind of ended up making himself significantly slower relative to Leclerc. It's just further evidence that Vettel. This version of Vettel at Ferrari just seems to need everything absolutely perfect. And when he's on his game, when he's absolutely singing absolutely as well as we know he can, he is spectacular to watch. But he's he's, he's getting a little bit like Jensen Button. Uh, I really I grew up really, really admiring Jensen. He, he was pretty much the only driver I've ever been a fan of when I was a kid. But Jensen would have those weekends wouldn't he where unless the car was absolutely perfect the nature of his driving meant that he would be found out if the car wasn't to his liking and Vettel just I guess there were signs of that at Red Bull because he was mega wasn't he with the exhaust blown the exhaust blowing on that car and just adjusting to life without that was a bit tricky for him and the the longer the Ferrari years have gone on it just seems to be more of an exacerbation of that like he doesn't have everything he needs and it just starts to fall away, whereas Leclerc just seems to be able to just get that extra tenth or two out of it, even if it's not perfect. And I think that's what's giving Leclerc that edge, because we know that the 2019 Ferrari is not brilliant through the corners, because it's not designed to be mega on the straights and rubbish in the corners, but it is better on the straights. So the car's not mega through the corners, and I think Vett- I think Vettel struggles to get as much out of it as Leclerc does. And I think the other question with Vettel is how much hunger and determination there is there I'm not saying he's being lazy or not caring but you made the Button comparison and and Button always I remember interviewing him about and he said this to other people about kind of what winning that world championship meant and it meant after he said well for me after that he said once this was interviewing after he'd he he was a champion he said well I've won the world championship so now the, the big thing for me is to have those those race wins and that kind of thing I know race wins Bagat championships, but I never felt that Button was someone who desperately needed three, four, five world championships. It's like, well, I've got one. It's not laziness again or anything by any stretch of the imagination, but 
when, when you're talking about elite athletes, it takes so much. They have to dig, dig so deep to do what they do. And I just wonder whether Vettel is able to do that. And, I, and it won't be sort of a conscious thing of sitting there shrugging, thinking, oh, I can't be bothered here. It's just that, does he have that same focus that he once had at Red Bull. You know, he's, he's still doing a lot of the same things he did. He's still putting a lot of effort into getting the car the way he likes, et cetera, et cetera, but doesn't quite seem to be able to get the same uh, the same results. So I wonder if it's just he's climbed that mountain four times. He's won four world championships and winning the fifth one, you know, you're a four-time world champion, a five-time world champion, much or a muchness, unless you start to get into the Lewis Hamilton zone of, of he's got that Michael Schumacher record to kind of look towards, and he clearly is doing that now. Because so I just wonder if Vettel just doesn't have that last half a percent that you might need. Well, just to pick up on your climbing that mountain four times analogy, what hasn't helped is that after climbing a mountain four times, he's had a few falls down, hasn't he, since he joined Ferrari. It's that it can't be easy when you sort of move away from the 2014 Red Bull season, which was a real disappointment, and then you go, okay, really encouraging first year at Ferrari, or then a bit of a setback, then actually quite an encouraging 2017, but then all the mistakes creep in in 2018. Psychologically, that can't be easy. Exactly. 18, he could definitely have won the championship. I know the car trailed off as the year went on, but I think also without the earlier mistakes, etc., then... Perhaps they might have made some better technical decisions. 17 people say he should have won the championship. I think it would have taken... He might have been able to with a perfect year. And that doesn't just mean not making the mistake at the start of the Singapore Grand Prix or not going a bit mad under the safety car and backer. He needs to be absolutely perfect. So I don't agree with those who say 17 was a massive miss. I think he did put himself out of contention in the end with that Singapore incident. But... I don't think the car was consistently good enough to do that, but that's the thing. The question is now, if, if Ferrari come up with a car that works well in 2020 and can win the championship, is Vettel the guy who can deliver it? History says he can, and I've got a lot of time for Vettel. I think he's a great driver, and I'd love to see him kind of bouncing back. He's 32. That's not, that's not sort of on the point of retirement, is it? So he's still, I hope, got it in him in there somewhere and I'd love to see a great battle between Leclerc and Vettel but at the moment that trajectory that those two are on means if you're sat there as the uh, as the Ferrari team boss the only disadvantage Leclerc's really got is less experience he hasn't been in a world championship fight yet we don't know how he'll stand up to that I think he'll probably stand up quite well to it but you just never know and then there's the question of course of whether Vettel himself can eliminate these mistakes that there have been too many of over the past 12 months. that And those are the things that are worrying because just that judgment in races, and I don't think he was always like that. People say he couldn't race, but there have been some, I mean, him passing Alonso on the grass to take the lead at Monza. And it, Hamilton on the grass at uh, the Red Bull Ring last year, which yeah, went yeah. massively, yeah, yeah, yeah. that one went massively yeah, people under that. the radar because yeah. of the events of that race. It went absolutely mad, didn't it? it? Exactly. It yeah. So imploding, etc. So Vettel can, can do this stuff. And I, I imagine he's as baffled as anyone by the whole thing if you ask him about it he he kind of explains all those incidents as well you know they're little mistakes and things that happen etc at Hockenheim last year when he went off while leading well he just happened to go off at the one corner where there was a gravel trap that would suck him in it's like well yes but when there's when there's such a pattern of them that's when it becomes a concern well this is the thing so I I was reading a, a an excellent feature in F1 racing about Vettel and that run of, I think it was seven major mistakes between last year's British Grand Prix and this year's British Grand Prix. So you've got, yeah, you've got the sliding off the track in in Germany. Then you've got the... Spin at Monza. The spin at Monza. Then the spin in Japan. 
the spin in, the spin in the United States passing Ricardo or which, to. which was which was was, was awful um, and then you've got other mistakes That's the Bahrain spin while battling with ba- Hamilton Bahrain again and which, another one another one in combat as well which, which is a massive yeah, mistake exactly which cost him a shot at victory because he d- he could still have been in second place when Leclerc had his trouble absolutely and then going off track in Canada he was you know, he caused his own problems in Canada that literally yeah, yeah. cost him a victory hitting, hitting Verstappen at and Silverstone hitting Verstappen at Silverstone so he got seven major errors there and this was the point that the F1 racing feature made. That's over basically a 21 race spell because it's one race one year to that same race the next year. Seven. One in that, three. That, that's too many for someone who's going to win a world championship. In, you can't get away with one in four or five if you want to win a world championship. One in three. Yeah, it's, it's, it's too much. And, you know, individually, each one, if, if just one of them had happened, you'd say, well, that happens, mistakes made, you know, everyone does it. But, yeah, that's... that's Well, Lewis FP3 shunt at Spa. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just one of those things. You know, as you said, every, everyone's human. We love, we love mistakes in it. But I think it's a, it's a, it's really thrown the gauntlet down to Vettel. And I kind of do hope he's able to, to take the challenge on and, uh, and kind of have a just have a bit of a bit of a comeback because if he doesn't it's going to be if he does go through the last eight races or whatever it is this season and he is the slower driver then he's going to go into next season as a de facto number two and I say we talk about this number one number two driver etc teams won't be that that it's not like they deliberately give rubbish equipment to the second driver certainly not anymore there was a time when there wasn't enough enough parts etc you some teams only ever really ran one car properly etc sometimes go back to the 70s there are times when you only had one car that could have the proper qualifying tires and it would go to the one who was it was quicker before that but but by and large they're not gonna disadvantage him it's just that there will be whichever driver is the better shot at the championship will be the one who has the run of the championship if the car can do it but this weekend is so important to Vettel because this this could be Ferrari's last chance to win a race this year and there's no track that's an obvious Ferrari track after this. No, exactly. So, worst case scenario for Ferrari is neither driver wins this weekend. But yeah, After driving into each other, that would be the... Uh, yeah, no, that is very w- true. Which we should say, if you've got one, you know, one young driver trying to establish himself as team leader and the old hand trying to hang on to it, n- neither of them are reckless, but... They don't have a bad relationship, but these things but, can spill over. Yeah, exactly. The, the conditions are there. Exactly. So it's going to be very, very interesting to see how this weekend pans out. My money, personally, if I was going to put a bet on for for this weekend, I, I would I would stake it on on Leclerc over Vettel because, well, for, because form is with the momentum is with Leclerc at the moment. Absolutely. But, yeah, you can't underestimate the motivation that Vettel will have to win because a win for Ferrari at Monza is such a big thing. And there would be if if he can if Vettel can go out control the weekend from first practice put it on pole position and then win from pole that will that will send a really really strong message because people will underestimate I'm sure will undervalue the quality of the win because they'll say it's a Ferrari track blah 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 but but Leclerc has proven himself to be a really formidable force in his first year at Ferrari which is not an easy thing to say with all that alliteration. Um, and Vettel needs to get one over on him, basically. And if it doesn't happen here, then it could be a completely winless season for Vettel, which is something that must have only ever happened. Got 2014. What, 2014 is the only time last, that's happened. That, that's the only... Oh, no, 16 as well, of course, uh, in the Ferrari when they when they struggled. And in fact, 16, where Ferrari didn't build on 15, was 
a less impressive season from Vettel because again, it's not. It seems to struggle to pick. And that trend up, is so. there again, isn't but, it? But you can see. I mean, I've said before in during this run that it kind of just needs one weekend for everything to come together, and maybe that'll lift Vettel. An Italian Grand Prix win in front of the Tafosi could be a big boost for him. So, especially that, someone so emotional. Exactly. As well. Yeah. Exactly. So, I don't think people should underestimate Vettel. He is a he is a great driver, and I think he's rather undervalued by people, to be quite honest. And, and I. I think the view people have got of Vettel as a character is a little bit askew as well. I feel like that means we see less of him. And whereas you've got someone like Lewis Hamilton now, who we can really see he's grown into this kind of statesman-like role in Formula One. He's great for outreach in Formula One, and he's and he's really really come into his own. I think showing how sort of how to do things because that's the kind of character Hamilton is. But Vettel is a very different kind of character. And I think that people sort of paint him as a, almost this, uh, the, so they have a negative view of him that isn't justified. And the way that this year's gone has just been ammunition to the people that have that sort of false idea of him. Exactly, exactly. I mean, he's made mistakes, but of course, and he's been, he has been outperformed. Leclerc has been the more impressive Ferrari driver, but, you know, let's, let's not underestimate him. We should briefly mention Red Bull. We know Max Verstappen will have an engine change penalty, so that's a, that'll be a back-of-the-grid start penalty, won't it? Uh, for taking the the spec for Honda power unit package, which of course uh, we did see used in the race by Daniel Kvyat, uh, Toro Rosso, and also Albon used it during the weekend, didn't he? And then he went back Friday, to the, on Friday to, yeah. to the spec too. So Monza, people tend to think of as a good track for overtaking, but to be honest, it's not really. So that's going to be it's going to be harder for Verstappen starting down the back at Monza than it would have been at Spa. Yeah, but I suppose there's a strategy to to doing that. You've got to manage your mileage. And I guess also you don't want all four of your cars starting at the back of the grid because all of them take grid penalties by by switching to the to the spec four. So, and I guess they would have seen Spa as an opportunity to get a result. Obviously, Verstappen clattered into Raikkonen at the first corner, so that ruined any chance of him doing anything. I wish he had no. taken the engine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. A bit of a, bit of a pointless one, literally. Um, it'll be quite an important weekend for Honda. You'd rather have um, Verstappen doing qualifying properly, not just Albon, but it'll be the first opportunity for them to benchmark the Spec 4 engine up against the latest Mercedes and Ferrari units. They think or they hope that the work that they've done has has brought them closer in qualifying trim, but you only ever know for certain once everyone's on track and everything's turned up to 11. So, But it'll be the first indicator at least, and we'll see how Verstappen comes through the field. This is all about making sure that they've got the engine in and everything's ready for Singapore, which is obviously their big chance to win. But be interesting to see how it goes. We've got Renault's uh, Spec C or whatever they're calling it will be in the car as well. So all all four manufacturers rolling out up, uh, upgrades. All all four of the works teams will have the um, the latest spec engine from their respect from the manufacturers. So be interesting from that point of view. Monza's a power sensitive circuit, the most on the the biggest one on the calendar in that regard. So no hiding place. So probably the best chance that we have to really gauge the pecking order. It's obviously still Ferrari in front in terms of top speed, but be just interesting to see if Honda have closed the gap and maybe we'll see Renault slightly closer, although their season has been a bit of a, of a nothing story really, hasn't it? Yeah, very, very much so. Renault, the works team, was fast in Spa, which is interesting. They didn't quite get the results uh, that they'd have, they'd have wanted to overall out of it, but that was a reasonable weekend for them. Obviously, looking engine-wise engine for Renault, McLaren had the 
both cars retiring with uh, with engine problems, which is uh, a worry for them. So, um, although, as I said earlier, Christian Horner commented about those three engine suppliers converging kind of behind Ferrari, Renault are in danger of being the <laughs> being the, the least effective of, of those. They've got some uh, some work to do there. And we've, we've also had news today on the subject of Monza that Monza's extended its uh, its deal, so it'll be on the calendar until at least 2024. That's good news, isn't it? You know, Monza, you can't have a Formula 1 World Championship calendar without Monza on it. Isn't it the only circuit that's been present on every single calendar, Ed? Uh, yeah, the Italian Grand Prix has been ever-present, hasn't it? I'm just trying to remember... The Italian Grand Prix did once go to Imola, didn't it? I think there's one year when it went to, went to race there because it wasn't always the Italian Grand Prix there. Although we should say, of course, Monza wasn't always the host of the Italian Grand Prix because in the pre-World Championship days, it, uh, it moved around a fair bit. So uh, there's various different other circuits that have held it, although Monza uh, did also hold it in that uh, in that period as well. I'm just checking whether I... Yeah, Imola 1980, won by Nelson Piquet. So that's... Uh, so Monza hasn't quite been every single one. Not quite, but it's you know it is the most uh, most included circuit, isn't it? In the oh, Formula yeah, yeah. One World Championship, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and you know it's been holding Grand Prix. Its first Italian Grand Prix was back in 1922, so it's a wonderful history. You've got the banking there, and it's and also it is relatively recognisable from from those days. Yeah, absolutely. Which is which is really cool. You get a proper sense of the tradition and history about the place, which is which is nice and it's important when F1's going to all these far, far far flung places and it's important for F1 to to branch out like the race in Vietnam for example but races like Monza are important the new deal which i think is a, a multi year deal isn't it yeah it's a, <clears throat> at least 2024 so it's uh... which will take it through past the centenary year which means if they get the money for it you mentioned this trap being recognisable from the old days, we might see major work done on the circuit because what they wanted to do for the centenary year, 2022, is possibly remove one of the chicanes. So be curious to see sort of if that's what they leave it at, if they go with that, if they go for something different. But maybe Monza, as we know it now, might change. But I don't know if that takes it further away from what it used to be or, or back towards it. Well, the thing is, actually, there were periods... In the early days, when it did change around a bit, it wasn't always just the the long straights. There are so you look back through photos. There's some really weird sort of chicane type things with these very very high kind of curbs, little mini walls almost. You could say so. It, it has changed a little bit. It's not quite as amorphous as say Silverstone has been over the years. And there is that default sort of historic Monza shape without the chicanes that we know. Um, but it's um, yeah, it's it's not something that's that's been locked for uh forever so there's, there's no reason to change monza's always going to be monza isn't it it's always going to be in the royal park you can you go in in the morning and it's a bit misty and it's, it's people going about their business going for their runs cycling around the place nice close into to milan so it is an old world track with just all that that history so uh, it's essential that they did the deal with uh with monza we've seen a few circuits obviously getting their uh places on the uh, on the calendar uh, sorted out so what else are we expecting news wise this weekend i guess we're we're waiting for nika hulkenberg and Haas to uh to to happen which well is, assuming is, it is that well it's more likely it's more likely than not to happen but there are other possibilities should we say that could hold up that that deal is there if hulkenberg wants it basically isn't yeah it? i think so and, and that is the logical one i still personally think that the uh, the best option is for for Ferrari slash Alfa Romeo to get him in 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 Alfa next year alongside 
uh, Raikkonen, and then he becomes the the lead alpha driver for the following year, or potentially if no one else is available, or the way it works out, he moves in and becomes number two at Ferrari for Leclerc because it would move him inside the Ferrari family. I think that would be an excellent move for Ferrari and Alpha. I think it would be brilliant for for Hulk because Alpha looks like a better prospect than Haas at the moment. Um, it, it could but, be an, it could be an interesting move. It, it would be a little bit out of kilter with what Ferrari's done before, but at the same time, if you look at it. It depends on a number of factors. What do they think of Antonio Giovinazzi? A driver I like, and I was quite impressed with the progress he was making, but it's just not really come together of late. Crash late on at Spa, throwing away ninth place was, uh, yeah, very, very, very bad. Then it comes down to, well, if they decide not to continue with Giovinazzi, do they put the next junior driver in, which would be Mick Schumacher after one year in F2? I think it would be sensible to leave him in F2 for, for another year to to kind of get on top of that you know he's, he's he's had a solid enough debut season but it's not been a it's not been a trailblazing season by any stretch of the imagination so there's a lot to be said for that Hulkenberg I mean he's the kind of driver who will be in demand because he's got that experience we know what he can do he we know he's quite a low maintenance kind of driver so you could put him into a team and he's not going to be too disruptive shall we say he's responded to the the, the Renault shunning, for want of a better word, with with class in public, hasn't he? He hasn't been he hasn't been chippy about it. He's just said, well, a number of factors. We had the negotiations didn't quite come together. So he respects the way they handled it as well. Yeah, yeah. So he's a. I think if you're Hulkenberg, you're sat there thinking, right, okay, it's kind of stick or twist, isn't it? It's like, well, I've got the Hass offer, which is a nice fallback because Hass is a good place to be. I think they'll be stronger next year than they are this year. They've they've got completely lost this year, and it's just. Yeah, they, they, hopefully they'll learn the lessons and they'll be back to the, where we expect them to be next year. So Haas is a good place to be. But then it comes for him, it comes down to how long can he sit on that option without it vanishing, shall we say. So does he hold out for, for you know, it could be a, a fill-in for Red Bull. Alex Albon's made a good case with his first weekend's performance, but then the serious business starts for him now in Monza because there's going to be a direct comparison with Verstappen on pace now, because Alvin wasn't really worried about qualifying, although, of course, Verstappen won't be doing it in qualifying. But it, there's still questions for Alvin to answer, impressive as he's been. So Hulkenberg's kind of the guy who's got potentially a lot of possibilities, but all those possibilities could add up to nothing if you wait too long. So what would you do if you were him? Um, I, th- I would do what he is doing now, I believe, which is uh, trying to get it snapped up as soon as possible. He told us last week, it'd probably be a couple of weeks before he knows what he's doing. So I reckon... Sort of Singapore time. I yeah, think. I think so. I think that makes more sense. The, 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 the thing, it's not really hard news. What I'm looking forward to seeing this weekend is how Albon, Alex Albon fares in his proper first weekend for Red Bull because he ended up with a really mega result career best on his first weekend which I didn't expect considering he was starting at the back but this weekend he goes in he will do all the proper qualifying prep and then he'll do a proper qualifying attempt so this will be the first time that we see right what's his absolute peak because we saw him be a little bit more forceful cutting through the midfield cars than Pierre Gasly was that's one of the things that Red Bull will be judging him on but the other thing ultimately is the peak performance and yeah. making sure that he's there as the he's he's got to be fifth on the grid and as close as is realistically possible to to the Mercedes really in qualifying that would, that's the dream scenario I think for him and Red Bull yeah exactly and uh, you know if he if he can do that this weekend and then string together a few more good good weekends then that seat should be uh, should be his for next year and I've I've really been impressed with Alvin this year because to be honest I 
know how well regarded Albon was when obviously when he came into to car racing. Obviously, he done some he had done some good stuff, but I wasn't totally convinced by him simply because by his own admission he didn't adapt to cars quite as as quickly as it as he might have done. But coming into this season, or rather the impression he made from the start of the season was was really positive and right back to australia i was thinking actually you know this guy he's got he's got definitely got a fair bit about him and although fortune has, has played its part in getting him into a top seat so quickly he's so far answered every question asked of him there's a few more questions to answer though and the later you get in the questions being asked of you in your career the harder they get to to answer well so that that's the challenge he faces and this weekend is when it starts to get a little bit more serious and a bit more high pressure he had a, a less pressurized start that was the terminology that his team boss used last weekend now there's there's no hiding place he's not sort of at the back of the grid or anything like that so th- this is where he starts to get asked those questions and history dictates that that he will rise to it because he's been excellent so far this year but until until we actually see him in that sort of peak performance scenario in a t- in a top team, you don't really know how much he is or isn't lacking, do we? Yeah, exactly. We'll uh, we're going to learn a lot about him in the uh, in, in the coming races. Well, uh, yeah, keep an eye on autosport.com. Plenty of news on there. Some of the topics we've discussed and various others as well, and all sorts of in depth coverage of other aspects of motorsport columns interviews that kind of thing uh, if you like this podcast do subscribe to it We're out every monday and thursday and, and have a look at our other podcast offerings uh, we do have the the flat chat with codders podcast hosted by stuart codling which is the f1 racing podcast that comes out uh, every month and we've also recently added for those who like things with two wheels the tank slappers with lewis and Uri. so that's lewis duncan and Uri Puigdemont our uh, ace motorcycle racing correspondents. So, uh, yeah, search for that and maybe have a listen to that as well. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back soon with another Autosport podcast. Music is 6am by Trilo, written by Marcus Simmons. See soundcloud.com forward slash Trilo Music. Redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino style games to choose from, you too could win life changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to chumbacasino.com and give them a world. That's chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. The, is it morning yet, deal. How about now? Or now? 
Because morning time is McDonald's breakfast time. And that's the best time of all the times. Wake up with a little splash of sweetness. Get any size iced coffee from caramel to hazelnut to French vanilla for just 99 cents until 11 a.m. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Sports Social Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.